This episode is brought to you by our friends at msnpropertyfund.com. Wealth management is a journey, not a destination. I am Tsepo Pule, a husband of one and father of two. For years, my identity had been tied to what I do for a living until the year 2020 when everything fell apart. Hashtag COVID-19. Almost five years ago, I became a father for the first time and I thought I was ready. Looking down at my son's chubby cheeks, my heart filled with pure joy and trepidation, seeing my exhausted wife on the bed after a water birth, I vowed to be the best father ever. It turns out, I wasn't entirely ready to be the best father ever. I had not prepared accordingly for the different stages in my life, career, marriage, and parenting. I have since lost my job and therefore have chosen to be fully focused on what's important to me. I'm doing right by my vow, and I'm hoping to foster a community of fathers that share similar values. Welcome to the Timers Playbook, a podcast series on fatherhood, proudly produced by 1730 Media. Welcome to this week's episode of the Timers Playbook. On this week's episode, I have brought Solomzi Zimba back. Solomzi was part of season one, episode five, where he took us through some of the horrible things he went through during COVID. He lost three siblings in the space of a week, which is a terrible thing for anyone to go through. And if you want to hear about that story and haven't listened yet, go back to season one, episode five, and have a listen. Welcome to the Timers Playbook. How are you doing, brother? I'm all right. I'm all right, Chief. How are you doing? Yeah. No, no, I'm chilled, man. How's things? How's life? Work? Work is okay. Life is good. Uh, happy. Yeah. Glad to know. Glad to hear that. Let's get into the conversation, brother. Um, you've got you've got two kids, yeah. yeah? Um, and I want to start with the eldest one. Sure. He's about eighteen years old, turning nineteen. Yeah. Just give me background of this kid and how he came to live with you guys. Yeah. So my eldest sister, um, prior to her passing away, she had a wish. Um, she left a wish that um, I maybe look after her second born, Uluvo. Um, she's got three kids. The first one, Weziwe, second one, Uluvo, third one, Aviwe. And she tasked me to look after the second born, which is a boy. And that's that's basically how the kid came about. Okay. And what do you mean tasks? Like, how did that process work? Yeah, so when I was young, um, my late sister had about four stillborn kids. And then she took me in to stay with her. So she pretty much brought me up. And then, um, you know, she took me as her son. And then... Subsequently, as I grew up, you know, uh, she almost, she always referred me as her son. And I also grew up thinking I was her son until I was told when I was a, a bit older. So she then asked that uh, when she was sick, this is, uh, can I please, you know, if she was to pass away, may I please take this kid and do the best that I can in terms of raising this kid? And that's pretty much how the kid. Okay. So you are 28 at this time, right? Yeah. yeah. And you had no plans of being a parent at that time. None whatsoever. Okay. And then suddenly now here's a here's a young boy coming to stay with you. Yeah. Funny enough, my my wish was always to start a family or have a kid when I was 30 at least. 
and now it's 28 or so. So I thought, oh, okay, this is coming a bit early. But anyway, I was then based in Cape Town, um, working for a golfing company, and we were having talks about me coming back to, to Joburg. So I then had a chat with my other sister, who's, who's also late, um, that she, she maybe looks after this boy for time being, um, with which she then agreed. And, and uh, when the boy came through, he then stayed with my second older sister, and the boy also stayed with his older sister, which I think was better because, you know, there was somebody, you know, in terms of her, her older sister. I mean, the boy was, what, there was nine then, you know. So, yeah. So for that year, in 2011, um, my sister stayed with the boy, and 2012, and in 2013, that's when um, the boy moved in with me. It's 2013 to study his Okay. And did you, guys as a family, um, how did you structure that? What kind of support did you have um, around that situation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. We, we did. Look, all my other family members are always there for guidance, you know. If there's anything that are needed, they'll always chip in. Um, yeah, they, they, they pretty much do support with everything and whatever is needed, you know. So, yeah. So you're from a large family, ne? Um, and you say that you prepared for fatherhood. Um, you had raised a number of kids before. Um, does, does, does coming from a big family help you in any way before you have your own kids? And how does it do that? I think let me put things into perspective when you say large family. My dad had two wives. And... Uh, we found out when he, he passed on, when he died in 2010, December, that he was actually not married to any of them. Yo. Um, from my mom, we are 10. The other one had, he's got, he's, he's got five. And my dad had a, an eldest child. So pretty much in my family were 16, me being the last born of them all. Okay. So the second wife based in the Eastern Cape. My mom was the side, Rustenburg to be specific, and here in Joburg. So that's pretty much the big family. And do you know all, all, all? Know all of them. And you guys are close? Even, no, so you just know from your mom's side? We close off, you see, from my mom's side, we grew up together. Yeah. From my dad's side, we know them. We are in contact with them, but we're not close. Okay. The eldest one was from before he got married. Oh, well, supposedly. Uh, we know her, but we're not close either. Okay. They're all from the Eastern Cape, yeah. Yo, that's hectic, bro. It is. Okay, so tell me then, how, how did that come, that situation um, assist or help you to prepare for your own kid? So in terms of having raised a few kids, so my, my sisters had kids, and they pretty much left the kids with my mom when I was young. So I pretty much played a part in raising my nieces and my nephews. So that's how I could say I gained a bit of an ex experience. Mm. Although it was not like 
too long because we would, we would take turns with my brothers. Okay. This one today will wash the kid. This one will dress, you know, those kind of, of duties. Yeah. So that's how I pretty much got myself prepared. So you knew what to do, like in basic terms. We learned from my mom. Yeah, from your mom, what to do. Put it this way, when my eldest um, niece, uh, Zuzeka, came back from hospital, I had to go fetch my sister. And I had to carry this little thing, because my sister was not... Yeah. And I must have been, what, 10 years or so? And, you know, carrying this child, you know, don't even feel this weight, you know. You're pretty much learning as you go. Mm. And this is not by car or anything. Oh, that time, how long it takes? Yeah. Oh, wow. That it takes, and it's building on land. Okay. And then come, because she needed somebody to help her. Yeah. My mama gave her, so she's been discharged. That type of thing. Yeah. So it's those things that prepare you. Okay. You know, and you just learn as you go. This is how you hold the child. This is how you feed the child. This is how you bath the child. You know, all those things. So what do you think, like, what kind of preparation do you think, um, especially young fathers, you know, a young father listening now, what kind of preparation do you think they need to go through or how do they prepare for having a child, having learned both as, as a sibling or as, as, as a assistant to your, to, your, to your sisters or to your uncle, to your, to your brothers and now as a father yourself, like, how do you prepare for yeah, this? Yeah, I guess you, you can't really be 100% prepared, but uh, do ask, um, do do whatever you are asked to do, and be that child who's always questioning things. Why is this done to say, why is it, okay, how does the kid, you know, when a, you know, when a kid needs to be put into bed, why do you do this instead of that? Uh, you know, if this was to happen, what then? You know, so I think just, you know, just be there, be present, be inquisitive about things, you know, and ask your elders, uh, how did you bring me up? Did you think you gave me the best that you could do? Mm. And, you know, what can I do when I'm older, you know, to best look after my kid? Trust me, elders will always be there for you and they'll tell you everything that you need to hear. They'll be there for you, support and all of that. So don't be that child, Ugh, it's, it's not my child, you know? You, that kid, you know, I'll see it when I'm older. Learn as early as you can. Yeah. Better prepare yourself, yeah. So I want to get into a bit about your, your father, ne? Yeah. Um, your, your father was non-existent in your life until, yeah. until he passed away in 2010. Yeah. And you're saying that he had two families. Yeah. What kind of impact did that have on you guys growing up? Like, did your mother ever speak about it? Um, what was it like having such a big family? Obviously, you didn't know about the other family at that time, yes. not having a father and all this responsibility essentially on, on your mom and your, your older siblings. Yeah, so, so let me put it this way. I only knew of my other siblings or met them when I was 14, when I moved up to Joburg. So I'd never known of them up until then. So met them, yeah, you know, okay, this is who you are, all right, okay, sure. Um, I think my father will obviously be to blame for that. Um, 
but you know uh, it is what it is um but that on itself had a huge impact you know in, in terms of him not being present in in our lives uh and we were pretty much left to my uncles and my mom who played a motherly role and fatherly role on their own um so we we needed him at times there there are things uh which we'll get into later when you are old as a close-up boy going into being a man that you need your father and we pretty much had to depend to you know on our uncles and you know people in the village so him not being in our lives had a huge impact negatively um and we were pretty much trying to find our way yeah. as we go my older brothers were pretty much my my fathers you know i was learning from them anything i needed to know i'd ask them you know they would be guiding me throughout so in 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 broad terms then so what give me an example so because you got people from different parts of the world that listen to the podcast yeah um you saying for for Kosa uh, i suppose boy mm. um what what exactly is that so pretty much um when you get to a certain age or older um mele we entavini we ba indot yeah and those conversations you normally have w- with your father so you have to go to a mountain yeah yeah literal mountain yeah okay yeah so uh and you pretty much have to have a conversation with your father where he says you know or when you feel that you know what i am ready now uh so what what can we do with this kind of situation so that's normally done pretty much you know in a kosa culture it differs from you know one family to the other but when you are 18 or just finishing school and stuff that's pretty much that's when it's done you know Um, so it's basically your coming of age. Yeah. Uh, it's it's a right right of passage. Correct. Coming of age there's a ceremony and you guys go away for a while. Yeah. Um and obviously whatever happens there we know, we don't really know about it. We don't need to know. Yeah. Um but culturally like you said each tribe and in fact each 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 tribe and each culture yeah. is different how they do the process. Correct. But it's handled by men. It's handled men. Mostly. In your situation your father should be handling yeah. this. So in in a closer tradition it's strictly handled by men yeah and there's a lot of things of risk that goes down that we don't talk about that happens there and um yeah so you need your father figure or your father to be present to guide you because you don't know what happens like i said it's all secretive and you'll hear from from your peers and you feel that if you are delayed somewhat it affects you so it affects you in a number of ways one being that uh, if you are at home if let's say if, let me talk about me for example when i'm here in joburg and i go back to the village ekakulu um you'll find that kunomkiti mkiti is basically the ceremony that happens when a boy comes back from the mountain you know and 
me as somebody that had not been there, I can't go there. Even all if all my peers okay. are, they can't even chill with me. So when if you've never done it, you you're not allowed to no. join them. Not at all. You are. You can't join them. And uh, obviously you be called names. We quack. Mm. And it's a big thing in our tradition. Uh he, he, he was just, you know in some Kosa areas they call it Inja. Like we quake we inja. Yeah. So they don't they can't even share beer with you. They can't chill with you, pretty much. So you almost feel left out. Now you can't chill with people that you Because you haven't you haven't gone through the yeah. rite of passage that every kid in your community's yeah. gone through. Yeah. Yeah. So it puts you at a disadvantage now. Just even just as a kid, you know, you need to be handling this yeah. stuff. We need to be handling the stuff and thinking. So like I'll be gone home and you know, I'll be chilling the house while my peers are out there having fun and you know, enjoying umkid. And I'm pretty much just looking through the window or something. And uh, that's pretty much what happens. So that that puts pressure because now you're like, I also want to be there. Yeah. So you find, that's why at times you'd find some boys just going without their family even knowing. So if, for example, you are going to the mountain and I also throw myself in there, my family finds out later, like later that day or day after, to, I'm, I'm gone with yeah. you. Yeah. Wow. And then they need to prepare. So, so what? Then you prepare for when you come back? For when you come back, yeah. Because you're there already. It's not yeah. like they can go in and no, get you. No, they can't. They don't even know who you are. Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. So pretty much that's what most of these boys do. So if your father is there, you have that chat. Mm. And you know, when you are coming of age, then you have that chat. Like, okay, I think this is time now. You're old enough. This is, this is, and they guide you. So I pretty much relied on my older brothers and my uncles, and they had to figure it out themselves because it's not like he was there for them too, you know. So whatever they've learned, however they've learned, they then pass it down. And this this young one that stayed with you now, he's Ulof. just 18, Ulof. Is he, yeah. is he so, going through? Is, is he going to do it? Yeah, yeah. So I've, I've set him down. Mm. Uh, with him, it's different. And I say it's different because he he is my sister's child, but his father's side are the ones that should take him through. Okay. Are they present in his life? Somewhat present. Okay. They are. Uh, and me as his father, as his adopted father, call it that, I obviously play a big part mm. in having that discussion. They've approached me. They've approached us as a, as, as a family. And uh, we, we've sat down, we're busy talking as it is, um, and possibly looking at December this year, mm. you know. But I've sat him down, I've explained to him, and I've, you know, I've said to him, look, this is what's happening, you know. Uh, he's got his views, and I said, look, this is what will go down. So also, because when he goes to the village, he gets that pressure too. Oh, okay. Yeah. So he hasn't stopped? Yeah. The fact that it's 2022? No, it, it hasn't stopped. What makes it even worse is because of his, you know, his, his, his big, his tall. So pretty much even the older men in the village like I, this guy, this boy is long overdue. 
They yeah. make those kind of comments. They've told him straight up yeah. that if something doesn't happen soon. So is his dad still alive? No, his dad passed. Oh, his dad passed yeah, on. Yeah, both his parents passed on, so hence I've had to take care of him. Do you, do you have a relationship just even outside of this with, with his the father's side? Yeah, we do. No, no, we, we, we do. We, and he visits them and he sees them. Every time in the village, we somewhat not call it force them that they need to go there, spend a night or two or however long we there, so that it's important. No, but they do. Just uh, just to give you an example, um, now in December, we had um, Umkiti, the ceremony for my brother's oldest uh, son, my brother was based in Cape Town. And... Luvo's side of the that side of the family asked if they could have kids. Ukubashamba. Since the dad passed on, they had never gone that ceremony. Ukubashamba, and we gladly agreed. You know, to say no, please have them kids, and they did the whole. And we were there to support them as well. You know, so no, we we do talk. So can you can you also just break that down a bit? Monty Monty Ukubashamba, like what exactly is that? Yeah. And how does it work? Yeah, so so when when your family member or basically especially your parents passed on the in our tradition um shortly after you have to go through a ceremony yogushamba isnyama. So you you there are rituals that are done put it that way, where goat is slaughtered and, and all of that. And Niyashamba, with some parts that will come out of that goat, Ukshamba Sinyama, just so that Isinyama does not come to the family, you know, uh, or to any of you, or does not have affect you thereafter. That's, that's the long and the short of Ukshamba. So you have to go through that. So, so it has to. It has. Yeah. It obviously has to happen immediately after. Yeah. Parents. Yeah. So I had. We. I had the same thing. But mine. Um, I. I. I knew. Well, I came to know of my father's family way after his passing. Actually, this. We did this last year. So same here. We had to do it in retrospect, and do it afterwards. But it's important. It's part of the cleansing process after your 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 your, your dad or your parents pass away. Yeah. Okay, cool. So back to Gunomkiti and then they can do that. So you, you basically make an example that they, they are part of your family yeah. now. So yeah, we are, we, we are talking, there's no bad blood or anything of that sort. We visit each other when we're in the village and all of that. Yeah. So yeah, we busy with those talks now because... It is. It's time now. Marlentoni zinu na ifunuwe na. Ifunuwe. Why? He's questioning a lot of things. But that's important, right? Because remember, Tina, we used to get forced to do things, like True. especially with culture and tradition. Yeah. You know, so I think it's good that he questions it, yeah. and you guys explain to him properly why it's important. Yeah. You know, he's he's obviously got his own views. You know, but then I set him down like. We talk every day, every time you bring it up. Why this, why this, which is good. You must question things so that people get to understand why certain things are done yeah. in the way that they are done, you know. So, uh, but he's now easing into it because I think he's got a better understanding. 
whereby his uncles from his father's side, every time we go home, it even got to a, it even got to a time whereby he wouldn't want to go to that family when, when, we, when we go back home because there's nothing else they ask him about but that. Yeah. Ish. And, and also, I think how they view it in the village, and this is not everyone, but most of the people there, and then you must also understand that high unemployment rate and people are just at home, so they're looking to have this feast, call it that, you know. Uh, so pretty much something must be happening every other weekend. Yeah, Melegwen has something. Yeah, Melegwen has something. So Lentona Lemele is Kayomkit. And you have to support him through this again. I mean, chief financially from start to end, it's on me. It's on you. Pretty much. Okay, so when about Funa law. Finance or Yeah. Why is that is that the law? No, no, no. That's not the law because I was spanning most of them. Ish. And the Abu Lababa Kulmaga Pai. Yeah. And uh, you don't want to be caught with your pants down. You pretty much want to be prepared because, because it's, a, it's a big thing. Mm. Just to give you an example, all of his clothes, he has to let go of all of his clothes now. Oh. So you have to buy him a new wardrobe altogether. So when you go into manhood, you let go of your boyish clothes? All of them. Really? Yeah. What do you guys do? Uh, in you give it away. You don't sell them. No, no, you give it away to your siblings, to whoever. But uh, that, but not about mm. daughter, obviously. Yeah. Oh, wow, I didn't know that. Yeah. So basically, symbolically, yeah. you have to let go of everything. Everything. And then what are the expectations then in, in the community after that? Because he's a, he's a young man, I can't know. So we're talking about fatherhood, and obviously there's, there's pressures on on men and fathers and boys. And obviously this is just, just a small example of how and when this can possibly start. So now you have to go through this process and then they say that you, after this, you are a man or you deemed a man in the community. What are the expectations then from that? Do you be, have to behave a certain way? Do you get certain privileges? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, first and foremost, I think for him or for any other guy who's, who is now a man, you can, for a, just to give you an example, you can now attend Emigiti. Mm. Uh, you can now enter the crawl of Shanti, you know, because if you are a boy, you can't when there's Emigiti. You can just be there, but you can't enter a plant. And you can't chill with these guys or share a beer with them. Even if <laughs> you, are, you are 18 and Lenta no Pluminas is like 12, 14, Plumada. Yeah, well. So also comes off with responsibility, maturity, you need to grow up. And did you find that for you, it's, you know, sometimes when this isn't, it's like, you know, when you finish matric or university or whatever, something clicks in you, but okay, now I'm going into a new phase. Did, did that feel for you like, okay, you know, because nothing really changed yeah, except just, yeah, just in your headspace, the and, new me in my headspace. Yeah. So, so, to to me or for me rather it was uh, I was guided so I had guidance from my older brothers constantly talking to me what it means to be a man you know it was not just like okay I've done this what now you know 
So, yeah, so to me, it just came off easily. I just needed to know, you know what? I'm a grown-up now. I'm a man now. I'm on my own. I need to start taking, you know, things seriously more than I did before. You know, I need to start acting, you know, like a grown-up, you know, not act like a boy. And it comes of various things, Chief. You know, your behavior, what you do in the village and all of that, you know. So it, it, it's, it's all of that and more, you know. It can't be seen like drunk in the village and just, you know, wobbling around and, you know, all of, and then you are known as that, oh, lamfana wale kwazimba. I know, now you need to be, you know. Well, that's the thinking, right? Because I'm sure there's others that are still like that. No, there's lots. Obviously. Yeah, there's lots. But like I said, luckily for me, my older brothers were there and they guided me throughout. Yeah. As a father of two boys, I believe it's important to save for my children's future and put something aside each month for some of my goals, dreams, and ambitions. Finding the right investment partner, one that has taken the time to understand myself and my family has been a challenge until I was introduced to the MSN Property Fund. From as little as 300 rand a month, you can invest in local and offshore real estate. Offshore investments include those listed in the United Kingdom and Germany. Financially, things have been tough because of the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic. But instead of buying myself a nice bottle of whiskey every month, I put aside 300 bucks to invest in property. As someone new to investing, I get monthly newsletters, monthly reports with online and phone support. All I do is sit back and watch Compound Interest do its magic. For more information and to sign up, visit msmpropertyfund.com. That is msmpropertyfund.com. And then talking about guidance and support then, um, you know, like in the, in the country, in the world, there's been a lot of talk about men and men being under pressure and mental health and so forth. Do you think that men or yourself in particular, you have enough emotional support um, particularly to navigate this life thing or do you think that there are a lot of expectation on men and it's just very difficult to cope? I think it's a bit of both. Um, there is certainly a lot of expectation from men. Um, you know, there's a lot that's expected you know, from a person being a man. Um, but also it comes with are you prepared or are you mature enough uh, to call yourself a man. And not just to call yourself, but uh, through your actions, uh, through what you do for others, you know, you know, in your community, family, you know, your peers, you know, all of that. So, yes, they, there's a perception that a man should be a certain way, be, you know, but also, you also need to look at self in the mirror and say, is this me? Am I really being the man that I want to be? Am I really being an example to my child? Am I really, you know, all of those things. So what, are you saying that we allow society or your culture or whatever to put pressure on you as a, as a man to act a certain way? Absolutely. Yeah. When you can define it by yourself and not by what the community wants you to do or to be defined it as, you know. But having said that, you do obviously have to be an example so that 
hence I say, look at self in the mirror. If it wasn't you, for example, it was another man or your father, whoever it could be, would you be happy with what you do if he was doing the same? Yeah. You know, that type of thing. And then you now have to get into it and say, okay, I'm comfortable that whatever I'm doing, you know, it's good enough. I'm happy. No, I, I do agree with the notion that um, you, you, need to, you need to first know yourself and work on yourself. Um, and then from then on, you define what's important to you, what your value system is, and how you're going to navigate and go through life. You know, and from then on, you then equip yourself with the tools and everything you require in able in, in, in so that you're able to get through life. You know, because um, life itself is is hard, right? Life is is can be very risky at times. You know, but if you equip yourself and, like you're saying, you understand who you are and you're working towards yourself and the highest version of yourself, you know, then it's a lot more manageable. Because a lot of times we possibly are living our lives through other people's eyes or other people's expectations, you know, or what your wife or your spouse or your brother thinks you should be. When back at the ranch, you know, I'm not that person. Funny you actually say that because um, that's the biggest challenge I have currently with my family. Mm. I'm, I'm the one who's different. Like I'm the total opposite of... What my entire family... In what sense? Um, you know, so so there's 10 of us from my mom's side. I'll speak about my mom's side. And uh, me and my brother in Cape Town are the only two that drink. And supposedly I'm the wild one. Uh, <laughs> you know, I'm the one with the most friends. Yeah. You know, when we're back at the village, when I'm there, the entire house gets filled up. Uh, and surprisingly, I'm the most quiet one. You know, when you have those family meetings, uh, I'm like, I probably say the least one or two words. Cause, and, and I've said this to them, but they don't get it. So I don't want to say it's a closer culture, but somehow in some cultures, some things are passed down to you. So if there's a decision to be made, the elder will speak, the second elder, so it goes. By the time it gets to me, I pretty much don't ever say. Oh, it's a dante. yeah. So I'm just like, ah, okay, I shut up. No, I agree with everything. But no, but what do you, what do you say? If I oppose it, ah, then an argument starts. So it's that kind of thing. So I'm just, in all those meetings, I'm like, okay, when is this going to end? I just want to go have a beer with my friends. You know. Well, that's an interesting dynamic, boss. And have you translated that to other parts of your life? Where, where you just accept things just because? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Because um, I'll give an example. My, my oldest brother, when we speak as a family, because he's a father figure to all of us, because my dad was not there, um, he would say, he would give everyone a chance. Then you say, I'm wrapping things up. No one needs to speak after me. So if there's a decision... <laughs> it's done. Yeah, it's done. If he says, okay, we are doing this. All right, sure. Let's move on with life. So it is all, I mean, in other parts, like work or home. So I don't win many arguments. 
And in, in fact, my wife complains that I'm too quiet. Really? And people say she's the one who's quiet. Because she says... I, me, your wife seems very quiet. Exactly. So when I'm with people, she's like, something in me comes out. No, it's true. I went, you, Mr. Party, when... No, but that's... HRT, HRT, you say you're this, this, that. That's why they get confused at your house. Because I have... Because me, I've seen you in social settings. No, I know. <laughs> I socialize a lot. But that's the thing. Because even when having an argument with my wife, then it's going to go down to, you know, who's right. Who's right. And I'm like, okay, no, I'm sorry. I think I might, might have been wrong. Even though I think... I might have been wrong. Yeah, deep down inside, I'm like, no, I know I was right. But anyway. I'm I'm fair to suit Yeah. You know. Okay, so... Let me ask you this question then. Um, you say that you're not living the life you envisioned. Yeah. For yourself. Yeah. Why is that? I think a lot of things have happened um, in my upbringing. A lot has happened in my life. Um, and then if I can unpack it, uh, just one or two things. I, I grew up pretty much thinking Uguti, I was the shit, you know, uh, especially uh, at school, you know, where I was just excelling and, you know, and, um, you know, and I envisaged my life as being somewhat, somebody who's going to be successful, not really knowing what I would want to do when I'm old, I was, I was very confused. I still am to, to today. But it, although I've got some kind of an idea. Um, and then I came through to Joburg. Um, and, and you must... And, and, and people, when I tell this story, only then do they understand what I'm trying to say. Um, you've been to Kayakul. And you can just imagine the kind of schools that are there where everything was taught in Setswana, uh, even English was taught in Setswana. And I pretty much grew up in that environment. Um, funny enough, when I came to Joburg and I had my interview, uh, I remember this. In 95 December, before I, I, I started at Saints, I had my interview with Mr. Wild, the principal headmaster then. And my sister was, was next to me. She pretty much answered everything and told Mr. Wall, say, please, can you excuse us? English was not there for me. So how did you get uh, into the school? Because we wrote that test, remember? Yeah, the aptitude test. Yeah, we wrote the... And you killed it. The aptitude test, yeah. But over and above that, my oldest brother, my father figure, wrote a 10-page motivational letter... Really? ...for me to get into Saints. My brother who comes before me, Mvelil, had gone the previous year. And he's, he's an A student. He's smart. To, to, the, to the interview? Yeah, no, for the aptitude test. Okay. And uh, he didn't make it. Okay. So I, my brother, my brother, my oldest brother, whom I say is my father, applied for me the following year. And I made it and he applied with a hefty motivational letter. Oh, wow. He still kept, I think till today he's got that motiv copies of that motivational letter. That's so cool. And it was, yeah, it was deep. I think when Mr. Wald read it, 
I think he couldn't resist getting me into into Saints. Yeah. So just to give context again, ne? we both went to Saints. And Saints is short for St. Stidians. It's a private school in Joburg. And obviously we couldn't afford it. So I was on a bursary and you, so you wrote the motivational letter to, we were on the same one, ne? or similar. Yeah. Okay. So were the school or the donors that actually pay for you to go to yeah. the school. All right. And then, well, for one, I think it's amazing. So you've actually had support. So it's important. You see this father figure or actual father that support you and they go the extra mile because that's, I mean, that's, that's, that's what we need to do for our kids when the time comes, you know? I didn't know that they wrote a 10-page movie. No, you wrote a 10 I touch a family history, like he had a family tree and why I needed to get into saints. So when I did that interview, halfway through, the, uh, the headmaster asked my sister, uh, please, you could go to another room. Then he had a chat with me. That's when you got to know who I am. Because, you know... That's why I'm back to the source. With my broken English. I would have been tired. They love you there. So Damn. I, I, yeah, so I spoke that broken English, but he understood what I was saying. And I think that's what he wanted to get to know. Yeah. The person, this child. And when he looked at my results uh i was an a student chief i was yeah i was averaging 80 and above you know came to saints first time i failed uh i went back to the headmaster he's the only person i know and i said look uh i failed this uh, i don't know chief i used to <laughs> i remember i always tell people a story i used to sit in front in class thinking that i'll understand better. And Barry Lamson was our science teacher. I couldn't understand a word, like literally, of English. And I felt dismally. And I went to the headmaster. I remember walking in there, not knowing what I'm going to say, but somehow I'm going to say something. Then this guy will guide me. I went there and he organized extra um, classes for me. Every week, I had four extra classes, math, science, the four majors. I used to go to Mr. Ryan's house, Miss Worth's house, you know. So, so, Lums, let me ask you this again in a different way. You come from a small village. I've been to a village. It's very hard to get to, number one. And it, even I got lost. GPS died while we were driving there. It's a remote village, small village, literally walk across in one yeah. go. You managed to get yourself into one of the top schools in the country, well, at least with help from your siblings. Yeah. After that, you managed to get yourself into uh, Demlin to go study, think tourism, yeah. right, and finish. You managed to get yourself a license and a car somehow, right? You managed to work, um, golfing company, Eventually, you got to where you work now. Fairly successful. You have you own a home. You got a great family. Why do you think that you you are not successful? Because I, I I'm never satisfied, and I always aim high. And I, like I said, coming out of the village, I, I thought I was the shit. And you know, I pretty much had higher goals. Um, but as you go, then you learn to you know. 
maneuver and say, okay, maybe I must settle for this, maybe I'll settle for this. So, but I'm, I am never happy. As is, I'm not, I'm not happy with myself where I am. I think I could be a lot more Ooh, higher. Like what? Uh, I could be, dude, you know how badly I want to get into the sports industry, for example. Yeah. I've been trying. Look, so this is what I think, right? Um, and I, I think sometimes that's the pressure that we put on ourselves. Because I've got the same pressure, you know, up until COVID. And that's when you actually realize, I think for me, in any case, what is really important. And this is not a cliche to say because that's what everybody says. But once you realize like what's really important in terms of being able to raise a family, have a healthy family, you know. Um, and this is not just... The, my core family, like my, my my extended family, you know, um, you've got health, you've got a place to stay, you've got a roof. I've had a very successful career, you know, in what I've been doing until it came to a halt. And I think once I understand that, for me, everything else then is additional, you know, because then I have to assess when I say that I don't have everything I want. What is it that I thought I wanted and why did I think I want those things? Do you know what Thank I mean? Because a lot of it just came from not having. So when you don't have, you think, Jesus, if I can just manga figure sentin, then everything will be fine. But manga figure sentin, you are born. So it's never enough, right? Because then you do get to sentin and you realize, oh, this is what it means to live in sentin. These are the costs. This is the thing. But you never really assessed why you even want to stay in sentin, you know? But what you really wanted was a home. Because where we come from, it's a home, but you're sharing it, you would share it with yeah. 10 siblings. Yeah, a shack. A shack, you see. So for me, when I was growing up, I just wanted my own bedroom. And it's because I also have, I have two brothers. I just wanted my own bedroom, for example. You know, now I just want a home for myself, for my kids, with a garden, with a swimming pool. So it's simple things. And then you'll decide where I buy that house. Yeah. You know, so you want to get into sports. Um, and you will get into sports. I know, well. But, you know, the work that you need to do inside you is what is that vision and what is it exactly that you want to do in sports and why? Because you'll get there and still be like, ah. Maybe it's not what I want. Oh, no. You keep saying, but it's not enough. Mm. You know, so when does it become enough? No, true. Uh, I'm, you know, I'm doing that self-introspection whereby I'm thinking I get into it, so what? Or then what? Because... Quite rightly, you say that I need to figure out what I want to do within sports and what is it that will make me happy within the sporting fraternity. Yeah. You know, uh, I could get into sport and not like it, for example, because maybe I'm just, you know, uh, doing what I'm doing currently, but in a sports company, you know. So, no, no, true. You, you are. You are quite right, and that's something that's been keeping me up. Uh, something that been I've been talking about, you know, in yeah. terms of what I want, you know, within sports. Plus, also where the world is now. So, what I'm learning also about this podcast, for example, yeah. same with me, right? Um, my vision has always been to have uh, my own multinational media company, right? But I was waiting for everything to fall into place. Young tall. Like, I was going to do it when this was done, when I had enough money, when this was that, that, that. You know? um, and again, when you, when you think about what you actually want to do, which is for me being essentially a historian and archive and tell South African stories, essentially. That's the big thing. 
and then podcasting came and I was like, oh, fuck, I can actually tell these stories in my, in my, in my living room like what we're doing now. That's, that's what I'm saying. That's what the basis is. You know, it's how do you um, cement and keep our own narratives alive and tell them in our own voice, you see. So what I'm saying is you and I can come up with an idea of how we can do sports without having to go to someone to employ us to do sports. Absolutely. And it's about reframing it now and saying, how do you actually want to do it? Why do you want to do it? And then work backwards. We can do that. Easy. No, no, absolutely. I absolutely agree. We also, I, I think to your point, when, uh, when you're in a comfort zone, you're always waiting for, in your words, uh, things to fall into place. And sometimes it takes that thing or for you to be out of your comfort zone to actually be brave enough to do what you've always wanted to do, yeah. you know. So I know people that have taken risks, some have failed, some have been successful, but you won't really know up until you do, yeah. you know. So absolutely agree. And, uh, you know, um, uh, if I can just share with you, I actually got into my current company because we had a fight with my previous company and I just left. It wasn't nice. Yeah. It involved, you know, a court involved, you know, lawyers and, and, and all of that. But little did I know it will get me to a better place. That yeah. situation itself, exactly. you know. By then I thought it was like I was in a deep hole because now I'm unemployed, da 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 da, da all of, of these things, you know. But little did I know that maybe that was the best thing to have happened. Yeah. You know. So to your point, sometimes such things had to, you know, have to happen yeah. for one to actually make a move. That's true, Chief. Everything is happening for you. And it's always harder to see when you your lens says it's a bad thing. You see, because it's all perspective, right? So one person you can be in the same job and you both lose a job and the other person like, oh, thank God. Yeah. And you're like, oh, I don't know what I'm going to do. You know, so, but everything is happening for you. Um, it's always driving you to where you need to get to. You know, it's just a matter of unlocking all the historical things of how you view life. Because it's all historic, right? Yeah. We're told that if you don't work, then that's what they tell us. Yeah. They want us to get into the working thing and keep working, but we all work and we're miserable. So what's the Detail, point? Heart attacks, stress, you see what I'm saying? You know, yeah, all, all of those things. I don't want that. Then what? I don't want that. You know. No, so I, we'll I, figure I, this I thing out. That. We need to achieve. Yeah. Uh, but also to your point, I just need to figure out what is it that will make me happy within the sporting world. And that's important. Cool. So, in closing, three to five tools, habits, tricks that you, you said you've learned so far as a father. You said the first one was patience. Yeah. Have you, have you, have you practiced patience and you, you're a master of patience now? I am. <laughs> I've always been patient. Yeah. Um, and I've been extremely patient with a lot of things. See, I think what also helps is I love kids. And uh, you need to understand them. You need to not to be short-tempered or, you know, lose it with them. So, in fact, at some point, I even told my wife that, you know what, 
I think you are too harsh on the kid. This is just a kid who's still trying to learn her way, still trying to figure out what is what on this planet, because she'll get a smack when she does this and does that, you know, and all of that. And I said, and eventually she came through and said, thank you, because you are right. Because if, if a kid, just a, a stupid example, if a kid wants to watch cartoons and you are busy watching football or your, your soapy, find an alternative way to distract her. Give her your phone or something. Do, you know, just so that you know, she can also be happy. Remember, kids think they own everything that you have. My kid says, this is my car, this is my house, this is my bed, this is my, you know. So, you know, you just need to understand them better and just be patient with them. Don't, you know, don't, which is something I found from her wife is, you know, we could be having our own fights and she will take it out on the kid, which is, which is not fair. And you see even the impact of the smack, that this is not a smack, you know, just the normal one smacking a child. This is out of anger type of thing. And I'd say, no, we just need to be gentle with it. You know, talk to her. Tell her this is what you need to do. To play around with it. You know, just distract her. Do whatever it takes, but don't, you know, don't take out your frustration and everything else on her. You know, so, yeah, so it's, I've learned to be patient. Uh, I was patient, but I'm extremely patient now. So, on that note, we have to wrap up. No, thank you. Not. Thank you again for sharing. Always a pleasure. Cool, man. Thank you so much for listening and streaming this episode. Um, please get on to your favorite uh, audio streaming service, like, share, and subscribe. And please, please rate the content. Um, it really helps us with content discovery. Appreciate your support as always. Thank you. Shop. Proudly produced by 1730 Media. This episode was brought to you by our friends at msmpropertyfund.com. Remember, Wealth management is a journey, not a destination.